Welcome to Calling Operator. The podcast where we speak to operators in some of Australia's biggest startups. Find out how they got there and what their impact is. Connecting to Gaz Williams, Engagement Director at Tractor Ventures. I'm excited today to welcome Gary Williams to the podcast. Gary, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Paloma. Uh, every time I hear my name, Gary, uh, I just shudder a little bit thinking about my parents making that choice. So uh, I go by Gaz usually, but you know. <laughs> Gaz it, it is. is my- <laughs> <laughs> no stress at all. So it's exciting to have you on. You were my first podcast share on LinkedIn from someone that I didn't know or someone that I hadn't interviewed. So <laughs> it was exciting. No, very cool. You know, I mean, for anyone listening, uh, you have Bronte McHenry on, which is cool. I got to know Bronte a little more over the last little while. She's in the transition phase and I was like, oh, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool. Like, you know, doing this um, interview and enjoyed listening, but it was cool. She gave me a shout out in it as well. So I was pretty chuffed about that. That's nice to be recognized by people in the industry and to get shout outs. So, you know, I'll do the same for a few people as part of this episode too. Yeah. Awesome. So I think that's probably a good place to start. So usually I just like to start, like, set the scene. What's your backstory? Where did you grow up and and how did you kind of get to this point? Yeah, look, pretty modest surrounds. I'm in Melbourne. I actually live at the moment in Footscray, um, in Melbourne's West, an area I'm quite passionate about and, and really, really enjoy living in. You know, transition out of high school, went to do a music industry business course. Music industry tanked and, you know, there just wasn't any jobs. So that that was an ironic thing in and of itself. But, but now I, I sort of do work in sort of, in and around the music realm, which is pretty cool, full circle. Largely unspectacular life, to be honest, for, for a fair while there. You know, went into sort of like the corporate world, you know, just just hated it and myself <laughs> like during it. Just was it feeling very aimless and not not really progressing in any great way. But then things started to really change for me personally once I entered into the tech space and I guess found my niche. And that was you know, I began by leading partnerships for General Assembly um, in Australia. So doing lots of um, events and boot camps and think tanks and all types of stuff, meeting everyone in tech, basically, which was very cool. I ran a co-working space called Inspire Nine for a little while there. I went to the University of Melbourne for three years, and that was a pretty interesting time where I was creative producer of innovation for the uni, but also worked with a group called Science Gallery who engage 15 to 25-year-olds in STEM. So that was really cool. We are mucking around with like biometric biometric facial scanning and sex robots and <laughs> meal i had as as a desk buddy i had like five thousand mealworms you know in a in a in an aquarium thing but it was just random shit like hiv positive solidified blood <laughs> as part of my like desk adornment <laughs> and so when was the when was the general assembly job that was quite quite early wasn't it, it was around 2016 i think from one of co-workers uh yeah so as, as of this point in time i reckon i've been in the tech space proper for about six and a half to seven years and i'm a little bit on the older end of the 30s so yeah my, my 20s were incredibly aimless actually yeah. had a very difficult personal time during there as well so i think that the main takeaway here is that i came into the tech space feeling in a rush like i felt incredibly late to the scene mm. felt like bit of an imposter like working with young people and I'm a slight bit older with kid and married and you know all that all that shit but what I what I did have was like extreme yeah extreme motivation and also could could handle and love the pace and so quickly caught up and then sort of I guess progressed from there yeah right and then so moving into that co-working space what was are you you were the general manager weren't you yeah, so I looked after um, a group called Inspire Nine, which was Melbourne's original community-led co-working space. Mm-hmm. I guess if you're a Sydney sider, um, maybe Fishburners in its earliest in- incarnation is probably the, the closest similarity or parallel. Mm-hmm. Running a co-working space is not an enjoyable part of my life. Let's just yeah, say. I was going to ask you, I, I know that you mentioned it wasn't your favourite experience, but I did find that interesting too, because one of the people I chatted to in the build-up to this interview you actually met there and I think have become incredibly good friends ever since. So it's interesting yeah. to see that you can bond through maybe negative experiences. And I was going to ask sort of how you, how you saw that. Look, I had, I had some really positive experiences, but I had some incredibly uh, negative ones. Also, we had some extreme difficulties with the actual boss at the time. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not me butting heads with someone that's, uh, that's us changing direction, like, 
at the midpoint. And at one stage, it literally culminated in I was working across two locations, like huge floor space. And I think it was just me and one casual employee. So I'm floating between opposite ends of the city, running two co-working spaces, trying to trying to manage a bunch of residents' expectations, nearly burning out in the process and mm. recognizing after the fact that, yes, I did actually burn out incredibly bad. I was just running on fumes and then it took quite a few months to recover from that. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it can take up to five years, supposedly, to properly recover from burnout. So it's yep. certainly not something to take lightly. Yeah. And then I made the incredibly smart decision to then go into uh, university mm -hmm. with all, you know, toxic culture ways. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was going to say university would be much a nicer environment. So kind of delving into that experience, like, did you, was there a part of you that felt like that general manager role at the co-working space was going to be this huge opportunity? And was there a little bit of disappointment when it didn't kind of pan out that way? Because I think that's something that is quite prevalent in this industry. Like, you can think that you're about to move into the next best thing in the world and then, you know, it doesn't happen. I think that probably happens in a lot of industries, but we probably build ourselves up a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, there, there were a few things in place. So I think one was, you know, relating to that aspect of feeling like, you know, catching up, et cetera. So I got mm. tapped on the shoulder for that role. So that felt really nice. That was my first experience at someone saying, we want you, mm. we want you to do this role. The other factor was that, you know, I'd originally come in to run the Footscray-based location. So it was in my area, the area I'm passionate about, running a space that is intended to be filled up with, you know, startups and entrepreneurs and that. And I was really passionate about that. I was like, you can play a really good role in curating something special and meaningful here. But ultimately, bureaucracy got in the way as well as, you know, some some internal problems with the way the whole structure was set up, the way the business was running in in the face of, a larger competitive environment, and uh, and and I was I was deflated as part of the experience because a lot of what I'd done previously was running events in co in Inspire Nine, mm. so that had been the foundations for a lot of the emergence of my career, like running these huge events like Fuck Up Nights or or other ones with General Assembly. So it's quite used to bringing people together in that brand. Mm. So. The other side, working for it and growing it myself felt like a little bit of a deflating experience personally, but ultimately it was the operational stuff that, that um, got me down. I just could not manage everything, everywhere, all, all the time. <laughs> of course not. Great film though. And for those of you who don't know already, Fuck Up Nights is a failure-focused storytelling event. It's been running for a few years in Perth, Melbourne and Sydney that Gaz has been working on. It's had some incredible speakers as well so what was what was kind of the, what do you think the biggest lessons learned now that you've had a bit of time you've had other uh, roles that you're obviously your current role you're very happy and you also had the university role which seems like it was a really positive experience so now that you've had a bit of time to reflect and recover from that burnout what are some of the lessons that you think you took away from there both like practical skills that you picked up even if it wasn't the best time of your life like what have you walked away with and then kind of looking back what would you say has been like a biggest career learning for you we'll just say some aspects of the university role after that were not positive in any way shape or form so very happy to unpack that but i think for i think it's just what i've laid out in terms of the, the co-working role in that particular scenario you know i it was only upon reflection that i was like okay so I felt really good about being tapped on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. So that was not an experience that had happened to me previously and has happened in my life, you know, in more recent times, which is great. I'm, I'm sort of used to it now. So, but at the time, you know, blinkers, you know, like sort of, I could have done some due diligence on the, on the role or how the company was going, ask people within mm -hmm. the company, how is everything going here? Like, is are things running quite well? Where's the opportunities to grow it and sort of operationalize it efficiently? And I didn't ask those questions. So that's, that's a failure on my part. But I think a combination of passion and local area and, you know, stars in my eyes just led me down the path. But but it was it was certainly a great experience. I, I sharpened up after that for sure. I think that's an interesting point too, right? Because I think a lot of the time, particularly at the beginning of your career, and the beginning of your career is a subjective moment in time, right? Like it can yeah, be, I, I don't mean like when you're 19, I mean the beginning of your yeah. current career. But I think sometimes when we are excited to get into something, we forget that a job is also a two-way street and for, for it to be good for you, it, it has to be good to you. So always checking in, making sure you're asking those right questions and yeah, trying to keep a level head, I guess, is a, 
I think is an important tip to pull out of that. Uh, that's right. And I s- certainly when, you know, you're, you're at a stage that you're thinking about, you know, taking on a new role, et cetera, uh, no doubt there's a delineation between one aspect of your career where you're you're just keen to get that job and, you know, maybe I'll ruffle, ruffle some feathers if I do ask some qualifying questions so I better not go there. Mm. But to at another period where you're asking about the, the company where you're going to spend a third of your life at least and trying to, you know, pick it apart and, and really qualify how that feeds into your motivations and, and what you're sort of passionate about doing. So, yeah, it's that, that was definitely a point as part of that for sure for me. Yeah, awesome. And then so going to the university, I have to ask, uh, you did mention that your issue at the co-working space was bureaucracy. So it is interesting that you then went to a university, but was that the kind of key flaw in that role as well i know it's like the extreme irony right <laughs> look the, the the role was creative producer of innovation basically what i would do is pair i guess you know research with exposure to industry via mm. events other forms of engagement and then also do some aspects of i guess bringing industry partnerships into the, uh, the university itself on the what it meant was that i was leading activation for a forthcoming innovation precinct Mm-hmm. So a massive building. So again, I'm like, why am I, why am I fucking, you know, doing buildings, like buildings, why buildings? So after I ended with the university, I was like, no more buildings. <laughs> so I've, I've learned that about myself. I do not like buildings. Um, so <laughs> what, what, you know, when I, I, I had a fantastic boss, her name is Rose Hiscock. She um, used to lead Powerhouse Museum in Sydney and she was head of museums and collections at the university. So wonderful person very 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 involved and revered in the arts and culture space and she was an incredible presence in my life as a a leader and a mentor and the way she operated in a highly bureaucratic environment you know i transitioned over to another management and she stated it as simple as i've ever heard and and she was you know unbelievably correct it was that you know i came in i applied for the role but i did definitely they they wanted me definitely and she basically stated as simply as this, universities want people who are going to come in and think differently about how this should run. And then we try and change them into university people inevitably along the way. And that's exactly what happened. So they try, they wanted me to bring the people in from my own network and sort of build the relationships and do all the stuff, but then wanted to mold me into something that was like incredibly vanilla and, and box shaped in a, in a university mold. So no interest in it. And also, I mean, you know, this was 2020 when I finally decided to move on. And, you know, I was not impressed at the way that the university had conducted themselves during that time and the way that certain people reacted to that, you know, all the goings on in the world, especially in Melbourne with mm. extreme lockdown mm. and uh, exit mental health at play. So I left incredibly unimpressed mm. from the university as an organisation itself but but in terms of my time with science gallery as a sort of a connected part of university but a little bit separate that was an overwhelmingly positive experience for me one of one of my happiest working memories thus far that's that well at least there's a there's a sweet spot there i i was actually living in melbourne during the 2020 really (laughs) so I can empathize with you on that year. I did yeah, end yeah, up moving back to Sydney in October of 2020. Okay. Let me let me end the 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 original question about the university thing. I definitely gained a lot of respect for the need to have better forms of governance and better forms of communication to stakeholders. Mm-hmm. I, I, I came out the back of that operating in a not rigid way but but a much more defined way of sort of like preparing people with intention planning etc and less ad hoc chaos which is the way that i'd sort of operated a little bit before that i still it's still my happy spot chaos like that that's my happy place but but you know just the ability to drive efficiency by preparing people with your intentions stating what i'm looking um to achieve from an outcome and then going for it was was something that I probably refined during my university time. So if you were to describe now how you operate, what would you say with, with all those learnings in mind? Because the next thing we'll probably touch on is your current role. And I'm assuming that you've taken the way that you operate into that new role. So how would you define how you operate now? Yeah. So what I haven't mentioned at the moment, so I, I look after engagement with Tractor Ventures. So basically, if anyone doesn't know Tractor, well, then I'm not doing my job, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> 
because I am I am absolutely pumping us through um, social media, you know, merch, branding, everything, just absolutely going for it. But we're, in simple summary, we're not VC, but we basically, we do funding for technology companies, which is non-dilutive. It means that we're basically a bank, but most technology companies can't access bank funds because they, you know, there's no credit and risk assessment against technology vapor, basically. Like what, what a... What a bank's going to seize, like code, like they're going to, you know. So we don't we don't take houses as surety or anything like that. We basically just assess against a company that has runway and has revenue. And so this this will probably be, you know, bootstrap companies, SaaS companies, e-commerce marketplaces, and whatnot. And we're we're building quite quickly with you know a large concentration of people who have been in this technology space for a while. The, the way that I, but we work four days a week, like, you know, like I've got to be, I've got to be operational, like efficiency to the max. And so some tangible ways we do that is we love Loom as an async tool, love Loom. So meetings have a exceptionally pricey cost. So I think very long and hard about whether this needs to be a meeting with with every question that I need to ask. I also would let my team know often if I'm going to ask them something in advance. So I might say, I'm going to come to you tomorrow and ask you about these specific things. It's more than likely going to be a loom, but I might need to grab you for five minutes. And I just sort of mentally prepare them for that rather than breaking them out of um the, the zone that they're operating in because I've got to respect their need to sort of compartmentalize their focus. And yeah, and then also it's the simplest thing. I just let people know in advance, you know, these are the main points I'm asking you. This is These are the exact questions I'm asking you and rather than just riffing at random. Um, so I can do both, but I'm trying to move in that direction a lot more and do internal storytelling, mm. you know, like really prioritize that and it, it's working really well. Yeah, amazing. So how long have you, how long has Tractive Ventures been operational for? We've been around for about two years. Uh, I think it was December 2020. So ironic end of that lockdown. But um, you were their first employee, is that correct? Yeah, first first proper employee. So really, really quick summary. I, I left the university on the last working day of 2020. I got an offer from a startup to join again. I didn't learn my lesson, didn't do the proper DD just leapt into it because I was so intent on moving to a new thing and not sort of assessing properly or qualifying what I was leaping into. I got about three weeks into that job and I was like, this is not what I signed up for. I need, I, mean, I just need to make the hard decision and just call it now. You know, ego was playing, the, I was like, you know, you know, people will perceive me in a certain way because of this. I've, you know, flaky and whatnot. I've leapt into a role and now I'm leaping straight out, but it ended up being the best thing I've ever done. Like, you know, I... I called it. It was it was painful for them, I'm sure, but also they were able to move on like quite quickly. Mm. I ended up staying there just for a little bit longer. I then ended up working in an agency called AKQA mm-hmm. in their create technology department. So I worked there for a little while after the startup tenure had finished. And then I decided that I didn't want to fuck around with recruiters or, or more more succinctly, I hated the way I'd been fucked around by a few recruiters. And I was just like, you know what? I've got my family to look after and, you know, mortgage considerations and whatnot. I'm not going to let my life be in the hands of like some whimsical recruiter, you know, getting getting pissed on a Friday and not sort of like telling me about whether, you know, the, the job I wanted had sure. had progressed anyway leave me hanging for another weekend so i was like you know what i'm just putting it out there so i did i went out on linkedin i put a big put a call out out and just said i'm available and i tracked adventures ended up tapping me on the shoulder first but i'd been speaking to matt allen in the team about working with him at aws in the past and that didn't eventuate but ironically i ended up with him there and that's history (laughs) you just we're now a team of about 17 it's it's absolutely incredible yeah and i think I think that's an interesting point, right, is is A, taking taking it into your own hands. You're the best person to know what you want. Recruiters, obviously, are great at times and no, no disrespect there. But I think when you are quite specifically looking for something, it's probably easier for you to reach out to your own networks if you've got them. Um, yeah, and look, I've definitely built a network, so that's the... That's the one piece in there. It's like, you know, I'm self-aware enough to know that I have built an audience. It doesn't just simply happen, but I, I've always put a massive emphasis on, you know, designing my own career, like, you know, mm. 
really thinking ahead, not not obsessed with knowing what's five years ahead, but but definitely thinking about if I take these steps, then you know I might be involved in that orbit at some point in the future. That like, is that right or or not? And then I sort of lean into that. So that might be around the types of events or, or people I'm sort of curating content around. There might be a a prediction that I might be sort of working in that space in the future and tell you a funny story relating to that soon. Okay, cool. I don't know how to do it. And it was well, uh, it involves sex tech, but we'll, okay. we'll talk about that. I mean, that is one of the things that both the people I spoke to before this sort of said to me is that you're very generous and thoughtful, but also quite genuine. And so has that just been a way that you've operated intentionally, or is that just sort of a personality trait, do you think? It's really not. I mean that's <laughs> It's hard. I pour a lot of myself into the work that I do, but my, my, I guess, modus operandi, if you're going to call it that, is to be incredibly consistent in my, you know, home life as well as work life. So, you know, I've got a real, I've got a wicked sense of humor. Like it it is, like it is, uh, (laughs) it is, it's right out there, but, uh, but always, so I have a lot of fun doing what I'm doing and I place an emphasis on fun, but what I place a lot of emphasis on is just being a decent person. And so hopefully I'm thought of that way. I don't, I'm not obsessed with everyone loving me, but but I do I do place a uh, level of importance on conducting myself with, uh, you know, a degree of, um, you know, respecting. Integrity. Yeah. And, and so, so one such example, I would regularly be contacted by a lot of people through LinkedIn, et cetera, to do this, that, the other, catch up for coffee, whatever. But if people contacted me and they were doing youth-focused programs, for example, specifically 15 to 25-year-olds and definitely in sort of STEM or technology, then I would happily say yes to pretty much anything that's going on. And I think that just feeds into my my lived experience. I, mm. I had no good mentors in my life at that point in time. No one was... You know, I came from very modest beginnings. Uh, I had no entrepreneurial, on, no entrepreneurs in my orbit, no no startup or tech leaning stuff in my world, nothing. So I just had to, through persistence, tap people on the shoulder and find my way sort of through to the tech space eventually. And I got a lot of uh, doors put in my face, but you know that that's that's a good thing because you know you know it's meant to be hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. And, and, you know, if you think my obstacles, you know, bring out like the tiny violin, like imagine what it's like for people that are, you know, less represented within the technology space. That'd be, that that's incredibly difficult. So yeah, long, quick summary is that, you know, I, I, I make time for people so I can help them, you know, progress with their career as well. And just jumping into something that you said, just to dive into that a little bit further, because it's, it's something that I've picked up on, but and it's it's something that your friend and, and colleague sort of said to me, Emma Foster, who was kind of in the lead up to, to having her first kid as well. And she said to me, you know, Gaz has this phenomenal way of being at every event, doing everything, seemingly saying yes to everything, but also being a, a great dad and a great husband and a great family person. So like, what are the kind of things that you do to help qualify what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing in order to keep up that steam? Feel a bit, feel a bit teary. Look, I, I mean, I have a wonderful partner. She's she's incredible. So we, yeah, we like we. I am definitely motivated. I'm self motivated. I I'm absolutely hungry to pursue, you, you know, pursue and enjoy enjoy this life. And so I think I'm particularly empowered when I've taken a, quite a few risks in terms of curating events or content, pushing it out there, which is new, and sometimes leans into subculture or or fringe sort of culture in terms of you know, running events on psychedelics or, or sex tech or, or, you know, like all types of fringe topics and people turning up and enjoying that experience and, and, and having some like critical thought about, you know, the people they're interacting with and that. And I, I think for me, I just think about the times when I was particularly inspired by being involved in that space initially and mm-hmm. really hearing some people that like just spoke to me innately. And so as part of that, I, I delineate between pursue with vigor you know the the opportunities in front of me but then completely over compliment on the other side in terms of being a good you know good and present father mm-hmm. and um husband and also you know friend to friends i definitely have disappointed plenty of people you know like i'm not as uh, available as they, they may um want me to be but you know for me I, I can't sit still on a couch i'm always tinkering away at some some uh, project, project. <laughs> yeah, totally good. so let's jump yeah. into what you're doing now so 
maybe explain your day-to-day role and then talk about, you know, what you're loving about it and then maybe throw in a bit of the events. Are all the events that you're running at the moment, they're not all specific to do attractive ventures, are they? You've got sort of your own side projects going on as well. Yeah, so I we work four day week at Tractor. So basically we we all have Friday off and we're all tinkering on various things. So a number of us invest in companies, for example. So we're probably speaking to the companies we've invested in where or we're involved in something <laughs> like in and around that orbit. I think for for me personally, so my Tractor involvement is looking after all their marketing, all social media, all promotion, running events, but also doing aspects of business development, partnership building, marketing automation, building HubSpot optimization, like design. You know, it doesn't really end. It's sort of a mixed bag. For us, we operate quite lean, like we're, we're exploding in growth, like up and to the right but we're only hiring for very specific needs. So at the moment, I'm probably doing, you know, way over and above, you know, what, what any sane person should do within four days. But but I'm not hiring unnecessarily to relieve myself of those duties. I'm, I'm looking ahead and saying, where is the best way to optimize my time? And who is the best person to come in to relieve me of some aspects of my work? And so that that will happen at a at a point in the near future when we we accelerate a little bit faster and you know again sort of streamline the process. So intangible output, you will see me push out newsletters, all the social medias, run events. In 2022, I ran you know an Australia and New Zealand tour for Tractor and called the Cost of Capital, and I ran it just like when we set up tours when I was in a metal band, you know, like. <laughs> We jumped into the city. I was like the roadie for the tractor. I'm setting up this. I'm inviting press in and, you know, engaging with the government here. We were off to a dinner there to meet some people before running an event and you know, getting some heaps of normal beers and putting them on ice and, yeah, just never ends. The funny thing about those degrees that you're like, I never thought I was going to use my music degree, but then it just pops up in the most random places. Yeah, absolutely. And my music involvement, I always undervalued it as just a simple hobby, but it's ended up becoming a crucial part of my involvement in the tech space. Just the, you know, the ability to network, network really well and network well, meaning have an interaction and then do something like with that interaction after. And I I do have, you know, I know I'm talking about, I do have a great story about how I really found the motivation to to get involved in the tech space. Okay. I'll say it really quickly. So there's, a man, there's a man named um, Sean Tierney. He is, he works for Microsoft. I think he's a director of education and learning in technology space. I think he's based either in Adelaide or Singapore. I'm not sure. He's, we're not friends. We've only met each other probably once. He came and spoke at a university tour and I had gone back to do a master's at that time in business and IT to progress in my corporate career or so I thought, but I ended up as part of the investigation phase becoming really seduced by the tech space mm. as I started to eat up some whatnot. And so the irony being, I just vaulted out of there into general assembly. <laughs> I saw him speak at, a, at an event and he was talking about, you know, like, you know, glass that you can project technology onto and how you engage young people and all manner of like really cool forward thinking stuff. So I went up to him at the end and, and said, Sean, oh, that was an amazing talk. Thank you. Um, I'd love to be connected and stay stay connected. And I had no network at this stage in tech space whatsoever. He said, oh, look, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to chat more and and uh, let you know a few, few tangible things. So I was like, okay, cool. So I did connect with him on LinkedIn and I shot him a message. And he's like, he came back to me. He's like, Gary, thanks for, thanks for contacting. I spoke to maybe 120 people after that talk. And, you're, and I told them all the exact same thing to just connect with me and ask me a couple of questions. And he's like, and you're the only one who's followed up with me thus far. Like, you're the first one to actually reply. And this is a good, like, 24 plus hours later. Yeah. When I heard that, a light bulb went off in my eyes. I was like, okay, I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to emphasize the fact that there's a lot of people around. I just only have to think about what I'm doing here. And so the persistence and and, and, and being unfazed by the appearance of what's going on um, sort of stuck with me from there. But that that mirrored a little bit of how I operated in the band where I just walk up to a musician and just say, love to play a gig. 
<laughs> are you keen to play a gig? I'll send you our music. And, and that works really well for us a few times. Yeah, I've said that to a lot of people recently, actually, <clears throat> particularly, you know, in the tech space as well. I think we undervalue the power of reaching out to people that we're inspired by or that we're interested in. Like, particularly yep. if you're looking for a job and you've, you know, you've got the qualifications, I, I will stand up and say it's, it's really hard when you're trying to make that transition. Totally understand that. Yeah. But a lot of the time, once, you, once, you, once you're in that space, to your point, like just putting it out there or reaching out, you don't know what someone's like plan looks like. They might be hiring for exactly what you're looking for, but they've just not put the job description together yet. So there's so much value in just doing that. And Yeah, good. I, and that's, it's really, it's actually summarizing and saying what you want to do, right? Mm. Like I, I, I'm not sure how it's going in your world, but quite a few LinkedIn inboxes, for example, and it's always it, like, it's always the same. It might be 90% this. It's like, love to catch up for a coffee to see how we can collaborate. It's like. Mm. Like on what? It's like you know, like yeah, state your intention. Like just tell yeah. me what. what I, I'm not offended if you tell me I would love to grow my business. I would love for you to put our business out there. You know, I, I want to run an event and reach a larger audience so we can grow our brand and accelerate faster. Or I would, I would be fine with someone telling me that. But but I understand, mm-hmm. like if you know that the way that that might be received. But I just it's a good point. There. Like go in with an intention, ask for what you want, because most of the time, like people are going to say yes. Like I. I rarely say no to people, which is probably also a personality problem with people in this nature. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned about what Emma said about me before. Um, I, I say I, I say yes to the, a lot of things because a lot of things interest me. So I'm yeah. across like social enterprise or, you know, deep technology or fringe mucking around with music tech or whatever. But I'm, uh, I say yes to what I'm inspired by and passionate about, but not a yes man um, to the fullest degree. Yeah, it's the problem with being curious. It's a bit of a double-edged sword sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, based on your role now, what are the the five things that you've learned and and what you're loving? Okay, so at the moment, number one, we're funding we're funding all types of technology companies at the moment. We're funding we're funding SaaS e-commerce marketplace. We're funding medicinal cannabis. We're funding sex tech. We're funding all manner of companies, and they don't look like like they're not necessarily VC companies. So not every company that I'm recognizing needs to be a VC type company to have um, an enormous impact on customers, et cetera. The second point is that there's a lot more going on in the technology space than simply what's appearing in headlines and papers and whatnot, because even in the Tractor Ventures example, you know, ecosystem reports about growth and investment in, you know, the lowest percentage of investment in women founders, for example, that's only focused on VC investments and, and exits and, and that. We're, we're pumping millions of dollars into companies at the moment and there's a, there's a very large amount of women founders within there, actually. So, so I, yeah, I think about that a lot about what's truly going on in, in an entire technology ecosystem. So that's about like what, what the companies look like, number one, and then what a bit of the true perception of the technology space. Mm. Prioritize with Tractor, speaking as if founder is being spoken, like speaking on a founder's level. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk about like, I'll talk as tractor as a tractor just about you know about the reality of their day like you know like you know the reality of running a company the reality of looking after people's expectations and all that and fourthly i've prioritized like humanizing the tractor brand like every time i push something out i'm doing a little nod or a, or a daggy pun or or speaking directly about it speaking honestly and openly about you know, how we operate, like what we believe in, all these types of aspects. I humanize the brand at every opportunity I can because I just have a belief and get validated from this assumption that, you know, proper human beings actually enjoy that. And fifth, I async so much in my working life so that I can spend the time interacting on a better level personally with my team. So from that, it means that I don't seek aimless meetings. I utilize Loom and and other methods of uh, written or verbal communication to um, get my message across without encroaching on people's time. 
but then when we spend time together, you know, it's it's about personal engagement and interaction and growing our relationships. And you know, we're we're, we're friends, like mm. in the team, and it's it's a wonderful thing to be part of. Yeah, awesome. What's the funny sex tech story you're going to tell me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I would, you know, I, I, you know, I know this is a bit vague and fuzzy, but you know, so I do the tractor stuff, and then I'll do so, uh, side content as I've done for a while. But then, you know, we'll, we'll then we'll be funding a sex tech company, and, and it's funny, like worlds collide a little bit. And there was a post made yesterday on LinkedIn by uh, someone, and it was it was a great post. She's talking about a sex tech, or, or should I say, um, fem tech, or you know, so not specifically related to sex tech in the way of like say product and toys only. Like we're talking mm-hmm. about sexual wellness, you know. Dick, Entization and certain aspects related to health and wellness from a women's perspective and so on. And I chimed in and I said, oh, fair, fair point. But if I may also, you know, the lens of this is fixated on whether VCs are investing in um, sex tech or sexual wellness companies, et cetera. And I'm like, we're funding companies. We're funding many companies actually, and we're non-dilutive, you know, and we, we have very defined metrics that are easy to understand and not vague at all. Mm. And um, anyway, just simply by like having a bit of an opinion and, you know, having a bit of banter over LinkedIn, et cetera, in a natural conversational way. Like I ended up getting um, Cindy Gallup, who's world, she bloody, she bloody connected with me on LinkedIn. She oh, posted about like, here's an investor who finally gets it. Like she's like a big figure in my she's eyes. Huge. Like, I'm going to run some sex tech focused programming in the future, which would be podcast, events, et cetera. I was like, I'm going to tap her on the shoulder, reach out. That's a big name that I would love to tick off the box to say, basically have Cindy Gallup speaking and mm. she would be filtered. But I was just like very bemused that my Friday night turned into, you know, I've got bloody Cindy Gallup posting about little old me related to sex tech. For those who don't know, yeah, Cindy Gallup is, I mean, she was a powerhouse woman in advertising, which is a historically very masculine part yeah. of the world but, and now she's yeah on the crusade for sex tech and she, she's she's a phenomenal person i have her linkedin yeah <laughs> very interesting like and yeah she's got new ads platform but for those who are interested she'll speak about aspects of ethical pornography definitely about women's wellness destigmatization like continuously and so on but but as part of that, I should also then highlight Bryony Cole, who's based in a mixture of Melbourne and Brooklyn, I believe. So Bryony's wonderful and, and leading the global um, charge on that front as well. So she leads the future of sex and also sex tech school. So it's pretty cool. I didn't think I'd be talking about sex so much. And <laughs> no doubt it's interesting. But I, it's an ironic role to play, right? You know, a lot of women are communicating about, you know, sex tech usually, but I, I find it a fascinating industry and, you know, the, the growth charts are telling you that it is it's definitely a hugely growing industry. And so even from a commercial capitalist perspective, that is a like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, it, it is largely driven by women, but I think there's other parts just to kind of riff on this for a second, but I think there's other parts of the world and, and industry that get sort of Ignored. I know that, I'm not sure if you know Heather Morrison from Handy, but she's developing, yeah, developing um, sex technology for people with disabilities, which is another really interesting part, right? Because the kind of access to pleasure and and sex should be pretty egalitarian. And yet there's a whole section of society that sort of misses out on that or is tabooed or or kind of infantized around their, their desires. So yeah, it's absolutely. it's a super interesting. It's a super interesting vertical. Yeah, so I mean that absolutely. I I completely agree with you. So why why do I care about sex? Uh, it's you know I'm not not some perverted lunatic. You know, running around and you know like intent on just surrounding myself with fucking sex toys like nonstop. It's around <laughs> like it's around the the accessibility and uh, mm. and destigmatization within people of, from all walks of life who who can you know you know, like live their lives and, and be enabled potentially by some aspect of technology or or um, scalable service. In uh, By the same token, if I push out programming, like I did last year with a group called Silo mm. on psychedelics, so Silo, a biotech focused on psychedelics based in Sydney, incredible, mm-hmm. incredible company and one I wish I'd invested in. But shout out to Josh Eastman, Sam Bannister, Delara Bachin, incredible company. So I'm running programming on psychedelics that paints me in a certain fashion, right? Like it's like a little bit, it's, it's out there and, you know, like I'm, I'm now a drugs guy, like apparently. But 
But what's really going on here is that I'm especially passionate about that people who have various mental disorders mm-hmm. or or are struggling with aspects in their life. It might be it might be mental mental health. It might be talking about PTSD. We might be talking mm-hmm. about early onset Alzheimer's and whatnot. But there there are methods and scientifically proven methods to utilize, um, say, psychedelics or or drugs in these ways to give them an, a level of decency in their life when they you know most need it and the ability to to live a little bit normally, more mm. normally, I should say. So that that's breaking it down a little bit more to my motivation and intentions, I'd say. No, I mean, like you're preaching to the choir here. I, I'm a big believer in it, it doesn't, like the stigmatization around drugs as well is something that modern society have placed on certain things, right? Like a lot of the drugs that we now stigmatize were invented by me- medical practices and or the army and or like there's there's a big history there. But to your point, if we can make people's lives incrementally better by using something, it doesn't really matter what that something is. Like I'm a, I'm a firm believer that everyone has the right to, you know, live a healthy and happy and, and fulfilling life. So fully Absolutely. on board with you there. And Silo is a company that I've been also reading and very interesting stuff, very interesting space. They're very cool. Very cool. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. We're going to start to head towards the end of the journey, but I'm going to quickly ask you, you know, if you were to go, you you mentioned at the beginning of the pod that you found your 20s to be kind of aimless and and you didn't really know sort of what was going on there. If you were to give yourself advice, if you could go back in time and, and talk to yourself then, what are the things that through this journey of all these things we've discussed that you would tell young Gaz? Maybe a little content warning because just based on yeah, I guess, yeah, never really talked about this, actually, you know, for those who experience grief, et cetera, in their life. So, you know, my, actually, sorry. That's okay. Take your time. So my brother died when he was 18. I was 21. He was, well, actually, the stat it simply, he, he was murdered. So, and so that was a particularly difficult time for, me and my family, but also has continued to be for a very long, very long time. So I didn't think I'd be talking about this. I'll, I'll explain why I've never really talked about it um, to anyone. Yeah. But so as a result of that, so myself and my family went through, you know, two court trials after that trial and then an appeal. And, uh, and that lasted for a number of years. So, you know, we're talking like I'm mid twenties, finally, you know, finally sort of springing out the back of that and then and then trying to develop like a career while, you know, the head's all fucked up and, mm. you know, I don't really know what's going on and, you know, I've just sort of like meandered through sort of finishing uni and, and working shitty jobs and then I launched into sort of sales jobs and all that because I was like, got to catch up, got to make mm. got to make a shit money like doing commissions and whatnot and, and that sucked. So, you know, it was just like this wandering around and aimlessness but that's not a, that's not, there's not really sort of something for people to latch onto within there because I, I would highly doubt that the majority of people would have had that same lived experience. But what I can say is that in terms of speaking to myself, like my young self, it would be probably back to that initial point I made about the, the ability to harness, like not being phased about what the appearance of everything that's going on is uh, mm. so LinkedIn's incredibly noisy, and you think you've got to up your Twitter game to like be be regarded as a a decent person in tech space. Like all of that doesn't really matter. It's really just about the the ability to engage engage properly, and then and then be like incredibly reliable with the promises you're making to people. Mm. You know, I, I I would get a numerous amount of people in my inbox contacting me who never follow up, never. Never, I, I say I'm not available tomorrow. But if you if you contact me at the start of next week, I'll I'll be able to chat after three p.m. on a Monday and uh, no follow ups. So it's actually quite very very simple stuff that I would sort of like pass on to people, which is about like anticipate when you've got probably the most amount of attention from someone and simply just lean into that. So you know if you're if you're doing outreach or you're trying to achieve something for your personal career or on behalf of a company, then, you know, not 9.15am on a Monday morning might not be the best time to send that email mm. or that LinkedIn inbox because uh, they're probably in a team stand up and doing whatever. But if you send it on Friday at, at 1.30 or 2pm, 
then you may just have a level of success. No, yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing that story. Grief is, is difficult at all times, but particularly, and I mean, I think another thing that you really pointed out there is I think all of us have to remember that the perception of who we are from the external doesn't matter as much as we think it does. You know, like when you threw yourself into those sales jobs, you were going through something that was arguably going to challenge you, but also it's probably one of the reasons that you are such an empathetic and, and generous person because you are a product of your experiences. We all are. But just remembering that every behind every person is something more important than the job that they're currently doing. Yeah. So going back, yeah, yeah. And you're you bang on. I mean, like going back to what you mentioned about what Emma had said about me and how I was quite touched about that. I think that, you know, I, I, I didn't have great entrepreneurial presence in my life in terms of mm -hmm. guiding from the career aspect, but I definitely had wonderful people that would, that helped myself and my family out quite a bit. So as a result of that, that's probably what I've latched onto in terms of like decency and the way to engage and, and interact with people like, you know, to you know, treat them like a fucking human. Yeah, <laughs> like no, just, I fully like, agree. I have empathetic, emotionally intelligent and engaging person that, you know, if you interact with me, hopefully you have a positive experience as part of it. But I've got to apologize for throwing that in there. No. I think it's just the question you asked me, it's just like, I was like, I, I really only feel I've only got one way to answer it. But I haven't talked about that often because I don't want that to be the thing that people know me for mm. or, or that that's that's a special part of my makeup. Like mm -hmm. I've only shared that on very rare occasion, but if anyone happens to ask me a question that that was the answer to, then I would share it. It's just not a thing that I lead with. Yeah. I mean, this podcast does often turn into a therapy session, which I'm just, I'm just letting, it, it feels like the natural trajectory of things. How, how do you feel about running the podcast? Yeah. I know we're wrapping up, but I would love to throw it back to you. Like how, how is your experience being now that you're, you're getting sort of like past that 10 episode stage and you're sort of hearing people open themselves up and, and talk. Like what, what's that like for you on the receiving end? Yeah, I think when I first started, like I really wanted to get better at interviewing. And I think there's a skill that I'm sure you appreciate as someone who runs events and any type of communication, which is external and for someone else's ears, where it's quite difficult to balance listening, responding and due diligence really so like when to when to lean into something I think I've really enjoyed it I genuinely call it a hobby I love talking to people I I have a a natural interest and curiosity into what people are doing and probably quite similarly to you I really kind of believe in this little startup tech ecosystem which is no longer little and the power of which it has on on so many different peoples and I think for me particularly, I've I've never really felt like I really fitted into other parts of, of the world. But I think what sure. I think is so beautiful about the Australian tech scene is like everyone's a bit weird, you know, yeah, and the, yeah, the weirder yeah. the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can embrace it. I think yeah. you can that definitely. And 100%. there's a bit more humanity and heart, right? Like to to your I've I've had similar grieving experiences growing up and like you are able to talk to people about them and I think it's the one space where you can be yourself. So I think the podcast has just kind of probably solidified that we've built a gorgeous little culture in the Australian startup ecosystem, and I'm quite proud to be showcasing stories from it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. I, you know, I, I still operate with a healthy dose of cynicism within Absolutely. this. Absolutely. <laughs> It's like trust and mighty. Like, do you do you even understand what real life is like? But yeah, like absolutely. It is it is definitely um a it is definitely a good good way to have a career, no doubt. So two final questions. One is, and these are kind of rapid fire, one is what are some resources that, including your community events, what are some resources that you think, particularly if people are dipping their toes in or in that transition period, what has really helped you along the way? I highly, uh, look, I've, I've talked about Loom. I'm really, really enjoying Loom as a tool. Like it's not, it's just simple, right? It's just like you're recording a video and then you send it to someone, but it allows it just changes so many aspects of my life. And I'm really, just really loving that particular solution. Mm -hmm. It just has changed aspects of the way I interact and engage with my team um, and other people, explain myself, uh, prepare the explanation, explain it, and, and just operate more efficiently. So if you haven't tried Loom, I highly recommend it. Amazing. And then the nearly final one, we've got two final ones. One is who's an operator in the ecosystem that you think is doing phenomenal things? 
I I really want to give a shout out to Jeanette Chair from Hex. I mean, you know, their team work with young people and I think she's phenomenal. I've seen Jeanette from when she was just basically herself and the, the initial core team who are still there today. Um, not her initial co-founder, but she's just a powerhouse and a wonderful figurehead for both young people focus and engagement, but also the way she conducts and operates herself. And she's sort of you know, she's had her hands dirty for a long time doing the scrappy stuff and then moving, progressing past there and has funded that company in a number of ways. So she's a fantastic case study in grant, a mixture of grants and tractor funding and VC and, you know, like all, all manner of sort of funding to get that company up and up and to the right. But, you know, she's a, she's a great, a great case study also in just grit and determination, especially on an Australian level. So props to Jeanette and props also to Sally Hill, um, Sydney-based, working in the the purpose purposeful business world. So Sally is, yeah, a wonderful human being. Probably works largely in the sort of the climate sustainability, you know, impact focused world. Mm. She puts on purpose conference along with her team. Our purpose conference is usually running in Sydney. It was in 2022 in May in 2023. I'm sure, but uh, Sally's another one. The way she conducts herself, and she's uh, rightfully respected by all and sundry, especially in the B Corp space and that sort of like really impactful business realm. Amazing. And then just to finish up, what's your prediction for the future? This is an open-end question. You can answer it however you like. Sex tech will take over the world. So look, I'll, I'll talk one final bit about Tractor Ventures. Like, mm. you know, we pump like $30 million out there, but mm-hmm. we're like, we're, we're looking at it. We're like, in five years, we will have sent a billion dollars out into the ecosystem. Like that's not a small that's not a small goal. Mm. Like, and when I think about that on a granular level, it's like, I need to push the brand out there and get us to a billion dollars. Like that's a fatiguing, like that's a, that's a bit of pressure. But, but the reason I say that is not to gloat and, you know, grandstand about the billion dollars and all that stuff. Like what's appealing in there is that if a billion dollars is going out there, then that's a billion dollars into companies that are growing. And these mm. are the companies that I like seeing um, succeed, the ones that aren't in the headlines, the ones that don't speak on podcasts and not on panels. That feels really cool to me. These are like unknown founders that just happen to be building good, solid businesses. And I like, so I really like that a lot. We've got plenty of known companies in there that, that do the profile stuff, but the majority would fly under the radar. And I really like that. Um, awesome. But shit. But but the the takeaway in that, you know, the pressure's not for everyone. But if you're, but if the pressure's for you, just absolutely lean into it and and just go for it. Um, and that's that's what I'm doing at the moment. I just want to say a huge thank you. This was a a big episode, and it is number ten. So I'm just happy to have you. That's really cool, Paloma. Thank you very much for having me, and congrats on launching the project. I'm I'm really pleased for you, and good luck for the future guests. Thank you. And that's it for today. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, your host, Philemon Newton, with original music composition by Stephen Shouten and photography by Philip Lemazuria. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.